Well, good day. So today I'm working, uh, well, actually my morning began with, um, uh, wow, my brain is just done, George Orwell. And um, not the, the book that you think, actually. It was uh, some of his discussions and his theories about society. That led me to a video I wanted to finish yesterday, but I didn't get to. It was actually um, on a, a channel, a YouTube channel called The Stoa. They were interviewing a McLuhan scholar, and I thought it was really quite uh, interesting. And uh, not so much a lot. It's like uh, disappointing as usual, right? And this is where I'm at. So I'm going to read you a little something that I wrote. Uh, and I'm going to open it by telling you how I think it's apropos. So, uh, in this interview where he was talking about uh, McLuhan's uh, ideas, long story short, he may have predicted the fact that um, by um, programming our uh, intelligence instead of allowing us to inform it, that's why we've fallen into this pitiful condition that we're in. He talked about um, without uh, properly informing uh, all the different levels that, you know, involve cognition, right? You can't just use imagination uh, and memory, right, if you don't uh, inform it properly. Long story short, uh, neither here nor there, because that's a separate thing I'm working on. He did mention um, a gentleman who writes on the myth of artificial intelligence, and I've of course, mark that down. And he didn't even read his book. He just mentioned that he watched an interview. He said there's multiple interviews. I don't know where he got them because I only saw the one. But I'm about to get into it, listen to uh, his interview to get an idea of where he's coming from. Because again, like some terms, um, I think artificial intelligence is problematic itself, especially when in this uh, podcast talking about McLuhan, um, there was pretty much an agreement that, I mean, well, let's just say we can't come to this agreement. And here's a quote. Uh, we're talking about what it is to be human. And he said, well, the uh, definition of what it is to be human's never been lost on the Chinese. And he said he was talking to, and this is a quote, he was talking to some artificial intelligence uh, scientists, uh, Chinese, and they define humanity as, hold on here, let me get the quote. Where is it here? Yes, so here it is. Um, so this is Mark Stallman said when he was speaking to Chinese AI researchers, being human means to be able to correctly and effectively use, and I added interpret, the Yijing. And he asks whether the Chinese are further along, and I argue. Well, earlier in his discussion, he hit on it, actually, that um, this experiment has failed. Uh, trying to program us has actually caused us to lose, he calls uh, our soul. I say lose, we've lost reason. So let me just read um, as it relates uh, to this idea. So the idea here is Marsh McLuhan, he had this idea of medium being um, part of the message, 
right? Because in his book, uh, The Medium is the Massage, the medium massages the message. And the reason why I'm going to share this is because that's exactly what happened. So I use this medium of YouTube to watch a really incredible presentation because in this digital age, uh, as well as the uh, pandemic age, they had to do this presentation digitally. So I was able to enjoy this, not being in California or wherever they happen to have been. And what's even greater is I was able to access these interviews again that he mentioned with, uh, what was his name here, Eric... Eric Larson, interviews where he feels that artificial intelligence is kind of a misnomer, not just because it, it's not talking about, what are you talking about, machine learning? You're talking about uh, an artificial human. So they discussed this idea, this idea that um, until we can codify what it is to be human, how are we going to uh, um, simulate it or copy it? So again, as I said, I've used this platform, YouTube, the medium, shapes the message, right? So I've been able to uh, access this. Kind of like today where uh, we see the director who'd become uh, really rich, famous, and successful based on uh, producing a television show. So what he wanted to do was produce a movie, right? That theater experience um, as it related to the television, but it wanted it to be separate, a different type of experience, because again, the medium massages the message. The medium is part of the message. I don't know if I would say the medium is the message. It is in the sense when he's explaining his theories, that the medium uh, is as much a part of the message as the message itself. And here's where I'm getting. So I argue what we've gone and done is we've twisted this idea and we've actually stripped out the meaning in the message, right? Or we aren't finding the meaning. It's being um, installed. We're being programmed, right? So how does this relate to YouTube? So watching this uh, really great, and it, it relates to my whole discussion of cause and effect, believe it or not, because he, he talked about this, how um, it relates to, you know, this need for an understanding of cause and effect. So, of course, it related to everything else that I've been working on. But why it was most interesting, at least for me to do this uh, little podcast, was I wanted, as I said, to follow up this hour and a half long conversation about McLuhan's theories in a modern sense as it relates to humanity and artificial intelligence and man's search for meaning. So very apropos for me. So I go looking for this gentleman who wanted to criticize AI, not from the outside, from the inside, because again, we're looking to move this forward, right? We're not looking for stagnation. So I go looking and I find uh, there's only the one um, interview. It's about 15 minutes long. So I think, well, that's cool. I'm going to go take a break and I'm, I'm going to do uh, some wandering around, maybe do some exercise, right? So you're not sitting stagnant. So I switch from the computer platform to my phone platform. And I go to start listening to the interview, right? Go into the YouTube app, into my uh, library, which showed me my history, because I had actually started listening to it on the computer. What I was looking for, which is what the original technology was, I was looking for it to pick up where I had uh, began or left off. In the YouTube app, I guess, in the web browser. 
But what I actually uh, experienced was they wanted to play me not one but two commercials of at least three minutes total, maybe three minutes apiece. Three minutes to watch a 15-minute interview. And as you well know, I'm probably going to fast forward through the first five or ten minutes because it's probably the guy uh, who's doing the podcast talking about himself either at the beginning or the end or both or even more, right? Because I find it quite pedantic when these people keep telling their own story over and over again as it relates to a question. Just ask the question. Just ask the question, right? So here I run into this again, how the platform, the medium, it does shape the message. But in this case, it's not adding content. It's actually removing content because... No matter how hard the ads try to be relevant, they're not going to be. Why? Because I wanted to listen to the interview. I didn't want to listen to three minutes of ads and how that would break me from my concentration, right? Programming me, an attempt to program me while I'm learning how not to be a programmed human being. How does that relate further? Well, I'll give you another example. I have a well, you know well if you listen to my podcast. I have a dirty little secret that when I want to be mindless, I'll listen to Joe Rogan's interviews with scientists, doctors, philosophers. Because it's pretty bubblegum. And it's... It, 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 let's be honest. It's, it's cringy, but it's also chuckling. It's chuckles. So we ran into this yesterday. I mean, I'll give you what the chuckles and what the cringy is. You have a doctor being interviewed, who wrote a book about dopamine and serotonin and how big of a part it plays in humanity and what a problem is and what blah, blah, blah. So her bag is dopamine and serotonin. So they're talking about uh, psychedelics and theogens or compounds. And she says, oh, no, I find these compounds to be problematic because, you know, the people that I deal with. No real discussion of what they began with, and she even mentioned she wants to study this, that there's no difference between the compounds and the experience. So you can take a psychedelic, have an experience. It's not that different endogenously, internally, not that different from a religious experience, a fasting experience, a vision quest. She wants to study that, as mentioned earlier, but this time she's like, oh, it's problematic. So, again, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, dumbing it down a bit, but then Joe Rogan mentions a really salient example, Ibogaine. Ibogaine is fantastic for a number of reasons. Um, it's not addictive, right? It's a psychedelic. Now, the doctor might have been right when she said, well, I'm worried about addiction to these things. But her problem was is she missed out on the real truth that can be psychologically addictive like cannabis, but Ibogaine, because it is so incredibly challenging, such a body load, you know, a 12-hour experience that most people say they never want to go through again, highly unlikely it's going to be abused. Um, but also, they went and looked at the method of action. So she, again, scientist for dopamine and serotonin, and uh, the podcast goes and uh, Joe Rogan goes and says, well, what about Ibogaine? And they look at the method of action. And lo and behold, I thought it was a little bit different, but lo and behold, the method of action looks like it actually not just mitigates uh, serotonin and dopamine, meaning you're not getting flooded by them. They, you know, It actually might prevent any of these experiences, be it taking of a chemical or a stressful situation, 
that might cause you to have an extreme uh, deregulation of those same receptors. So when she's hearing that, oh, hey, there's this chemical that can actually help regulate this incredible um, system of dopamine and serotonin. And that, I just wrote a book all about, you know, how incredibly uh, important it is for us to understand this and manage it and bring it into check. And she just rolls past and goes, well, I don't know about that. And she goes, I'm worried about abuse and, you know, the microdosing and and then Joe Rogan has to check her, and he was very nice about it. I wouldn't have been nice about it. And he goes, nobody's microdosing Ibogaine. What are you talking about? And she goes, well, you know, I think it's problematic because, you know, I deal with different people in the addicts that I deal with. Like, for example, I had one patient who wanted to have one of these. They were starting to feel better, so they wanted to have one of these spiritual. And this is a known thing. When they start to feel better, they do some loony things. This is someone probably with schizophrenia or worse. She said, I have this one patient who wanted to have this spiritual insight. So she took some of these, she wouldn't say what the compounds was, she took one of these compounds every 10 minutes for like two weeks and went into a psychosis. Like, oh my gosh, are you really that poor of a doctor to equate microdosing, which by the way I've talked about, can be a problem. If she had mentioned what I've said, microdosing for someone who's traumatized can actually make their trauma and anxiety worse if they don't take a threshold dose. And the reason why the threshold dose is important is it gives you a glimpse into what's possible. This idea of uh, erosion of self or uh, a minimization of self or uh, seeing outside of the self. And this idea that, oh, geez, it's possible to get away from my traumas, therefore it's possible to break my uh, uh, addiction uh, and just change who I am. Without that um, activation of the HT2A serotonin receptor, and she should understand this as a scientist as regards to these receptors, she should understand that when you don't activate the HT2A, that can actually cause some of our problems. Right? Like I said, aggravate anxiety and such. So not only does she not understand microdosing, she could actually maybe explain this. This is bleeding edge of science, so you're hearing it probably first. The idea that there's two types of microdosing. If you're just looking to be more productive, more um, active, like to have your entire brain firing all the time, I warn you, I suffer from that somewhat myself, and it's not pleasant the majority of the day. But that said, that's for the creative types. That's not for those looking for healing, benefits. They're looking for benefits, but not the same. So those looking to heal, and I argue when I say trauma, I'm saying almost anybody. Whatever it is you're healing from or by or for or whatever you want to say it, I argue there's a trauma of some sort. What do I mean by that? Just look at the idea that the mind is a predictive index. It's, a, it's an attempt at understanding causality so that we can predict outcome, right? Because we want to improve our choices and our outcomes, cause and effect, right? So how does that apply? Well, here we sit. Once again, we have a doctor who's advertising her book who's supposed to be all about the solution or an understanding of the problem of dopamine and serotonin. Here the supposedly problematic podcaster actually brings up an excellent example of a psychedelic that really truly could heal the human creature because again i'm not just talking about microdosing not just talking about healing trauma i'm not talking about maybe healing addiction if ibogaine does what we think it does it arguably could replace this doctor 
if we understand how to regulate serotonin and dopamine, then we don't need her at all. So I think it kind of proves my idea that these scientists are actually more afraid of disproving their own proofs than they are of looking for answers, or more importantly, in healing. I mean, I'll give an example of, um, I love the work he's done, Gabor Mate, and his books opened up the ACE test, the uh, adverse childhood experiences opened up developmental trauma, and the fact that uh, PTSD is exponentially different, or complex trauma is exponentially different uh, to PTSD, and even more so in the treatment options. So, Fast forward to here, and I'm sitting here listening to this podcast, and I'm like, oh my God, lady, are you really that ignorant? Right? Every example she gives is just this, this loss of cognitive reasoning. So this is this theory that McLuhan came up with, and it wasn't just for the masses here, because here's even... He's here, here's even a researcher, a psychologist, a clinical psychologist, I believe, who can't even use the simplest uh, bit of critical thinking to understand that, oh, well, yeah. Later, she mentioned she's never tried Ibogaine, but she probably should have mentioned she didn't know anything about it. Right? So here she's just trying to program her audience. She's not trying to inform them so that they can actually use reason or cognition to understand these. I mean, as, like I said, Gabar Mate, his initial books helped inform a number of us because now I see he's recommended by a number of other complex trauma um, healers, sufferers. But when he realized he'd uh, fell upon uh, a practice, just like my buddy Bezel van der Kolz, when they realized uh, there was a, this major issue out there of trauma, complex trauma, developmental trauma that was impacting people for their entire lives. And that, like I discovered, I could manage my auto-inflammatory uh, disease, my allergies. I could manage all of my physical symptoms. But until I managed the underlying trauma, which arguably could have been the cause to the effect that I was looking to mitigate, until I started to manage uh, my... Um, trauma and how it was impacting my perception and my reasoning, um, I was continuing to make these wrong assumptions and choices and continuing to cause my own suffering. Right? So, like Gabor Mate, when he found out that there was all these people looking for help, did he provide a, a primer, a primer on, you know, the information to help others? Arguably, he could have. I mean, just like uh, a Buddhist uh, author that I know looking um, to do a number of things with the book uh, to get the word out there, uh, offered for free online. But the idea of maybe condensing the book, uh, dragged feet, uh, actually somebody has taken advantage of this and they're actually charging for a condensed version of their freely available book. It's tragic because the idea is to get the message out, to help heal people. So the, the example of Gabriel Mate, why I mention it, is instead of him writing a book specifically about trauma and how to heal trauma, because really his books were a lot of case studies, right? Outlying how he saw uh, childhood or developmental trauma impacting people's lives throughout their 
life, how it impacted um, addiction mostly. And then he started to realize it might have been other diseases as well in um, The Cost of Hidden Stress, a later book. But what he went and did is now he's charging thousands of dollars to teach clinicians how to treat these conditions, which, you know, for most people, you'd be like, yeah, that's going to help people. But let's be honest, it's Canada, right? Because when my doctor thought I was depressed or anxious instead of understanding complex trauma, long before there was a, a diagnosis for it, he tried to get me a referral to uh, one of these professionals, clinicians. Um, after a number of phone calls, they did finally call me back. They let the phone ring twice and never left a message, right? And you well know how phones work. Um, like it might have rung three times on their end, but it only rang twice for mine. Uh, by the time, again, considering I have uh, a, a disease that at the time limited my mobility to uh, barely being able to walk. So mm, I got to the phone a little late. And over the next months, I called and called and uh, never was able to speak to anyone. The office just let my phone go to voicemail, and the answering service um, took my messages, were very polite, kind, but I never, ever received a call back. Even sadder, as I told my doctor this a number of times, I even kept my cell phone at the time to show, because again, the call log, you, you know, you couldn't mess with this Nokia. It was what it was. You either delete it, or the call log is the call log. So you can't hide the fact that I called and called and called, finally got one call back, and then called and called and called and called and called and never got another call back. Right? It was the only phone that I had. It was a pay-as-you-go cell phone. It was a lot cheaper than getting a home phone or any other uh, phone. Right? So what am I talking about here? I argue that what is this meaning crisis, this malaise that we're all in? Well, I think McLuhan kind of understood. Uh, he predicted this happening. What he said was, is when we stopped using our faculties, right? Our senses inform, uh, you know, our understanding and our cognition uses our memory and our imagination and our experience to cognate, you know, cause and effect and prediction and all this idea. And he argued that once they started to massage the message to the point where they were just programming uh, the individual, then we've lost our ability to cognate, uh, use insight, to understand, to grow, uh, to be creative. So this is what I wrote. I don't know how creative it is, but I said, like two scoops of raisins and those delicious flakes of bran, now, that was um, a Saturday morning-type cartoon. And so I wrote, On what planet are the bran flakes? A name chosen for its more palatable name. Again, they, they studied whether to call it bran flakes or bran, I don't know, chips or flakes. So the delicious component of this paradigm, right? On what planet are the bran flakes the delicious component? Right? Because they also call them plump, juicy raisins. But what they ran into is, yeah, yeah, juicy raisins, but it's also a bowl of bran. No one wants to eat bran. Bran's terrible. I mean, we removed the bran from the wheat for a reason. <laughs> so I said, like the meaning crisis, it is similar in that we are missing the necessary cognitive loops 
to filter the program from the message. Without independently informed and processed insight, reason, we allow our imagination to be programmed and thus denature our cognition and memory. What is real when we are equally informed that brand flakes are delicious when we know that the raisins are the sweet one? When we override our reason and common sense, should it be for programming or for growth? Should we allow others to shape our world and our thinking to their ends alone? Why would others think of any but themselves? This is far too common an occurrence, a truth for us to ignore. We must assume selfish motives and drives. Thus, the cause and effect crisis would reduce by way of understanding our cognitive disconnect and the risk of cognitive dissonance from mediums meant to purposely and intentionally program the audience rather than the organic massage the medium gives to the message. Propaganda is this true goal. Gamed is cognition and communication. In a world where the message is programming and the medium is the master. Again, the world is gamed when the medium and the message are propaganda. When cognition and communication are gamed, we are in a world where the message is programming and the medium is the master. Agency is lost and the individual is the crisis, is the cause and the answer.